0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, there is a system off the coast of the US that many millions are watching closely this week. Um, Hurricane Sandy has already claimed the, the lives of 44 something people. And uh, as the SMH reports, an emergency response teams, of frightened families, are uh, stocking up on essential supplies. It said that uh, Sandy could affect as much as one third of the country over there. And uh, they've dubbed it Frankenstorm because of just the sheer size and the <laughs> flukish nature of the potential destruction that could be unleashed on that country there you know as meteorologist just says here he says "Uh, we know somebody is going to get hit we just cannot say who that somebody is going to be james franklin from the miami-based national hurricane center you know there are two types of people in life Uh, there are people who are in the middle of the hurricane and there are the people who the weather is blue sky and everything looks fine around them but somebody's going to get hit. Mark Twain says that there are two types of people in the world. That uh, that, that there are the people uh, who are headed for hardship or the people that are in hardship. And so I don't mean to be pessimistic to my, tonight in, in terms of that. I'm not saying that massive destruction is going to be falling upon your life. But I'm just trying to be realistic. Um, I'm not trying to be... De- I'm just trying to set the expectation that look, if most of us, you know, above the age of fifteen in this place tonight have had storms hit at one point or another in our lives, and we're just trying to be be realistic, set the expectations. I call it the TripAdvisor principle. You know, if you if you have you ever read TripAdvisor when you want to go to a particular hotel, I find there's there's either two types of reviews this place is absolutely fantastic or this place is a whole. And, uh, you know, look, imagine you're looking up the, the honeymoon suite of a gorgeous five-star hotel that you're going to fork out a couple of hundred bucks for. And, and you get in there and you've paid your money up front on what if, and the reviews said it was fantastic. And if so much as a chocolate is missing off that bed, I tell you what, the whole holiday is wrecked. <laughs> and yet, if you, on the other hand, if you walk into a room and it's a jail cell, and there happens to be a blanket, well, life's looking pretty good. You see, the the way that we set our expectations is going to be the difference between um, utter disaster and dejection and joy. And so in that sense, let's be realistic about the Christian life. The question is, what sort of Christian life are you expecting And when we read through for the Apostle Paul and all the different ups and downs of his life, what what we've been learning in this series, the DNA of the Christian life, is some of the core characteristics of what a mature Christian really is. And so Paul tonight in this passage that we're going to read from, says that a mature believer is someone who who has right expectations, but more importantly is someone who rejoices always. And we're going to have a look at that in a sec. Let's look at um, Philippians chapter 4. Verses four through to nine rejoice in the Lord always I say it again, rejoice, let your evident let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Wow, what a passage. One of my favourites, I don't know about you, I could almost recite that without having to read from this thing here tonight. Uh, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul's not a cheerleader. I mean, we don't have cheerleaders much here over in Australia. Not like the ones that you see in the great movies such as Bring It On. <laughs> you know, or, or Bring It On, All or Nothing. Or Bring It On, In It to Win It. I, I haven't watched them myself, but... I hear they're good cheerleading movies, nonetheless, and I think they're the, they're the quintessential representations of what cheerleading really is, isn't it? It's always spirit fingers. Right? And, and, and Paul is not spirit fingering this phrase, he's not saying, "All oh, right, okay, it's going to be okay, he's not, I practiced. I practiced. (laughs) The guy's in jail. The guy's in jail. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul's not a cheerleader. And, and, And here is the problem with this statement and this phrase that if we don't dig into this passage tonight and pull out a bit of what he was saying both in the principle and the practices that he gives us tonight... We, we are in some real danger of going one or two ways with this tonight. We're in danger in the, in the first hand of, 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 going, of going with, uh, let me just be real here, moronic Christian cliches in the midst of hardship and suffering in people's lives, which do nothing for the person, which do nothing for the sense of how real and how practical this incredible word is. Or on the other hand, people saying this is impossible. It's impossible. What Paul is saying is just a catchphrase. But look, this, Paul is not writing his, you know, little script for his latest Anthony Robbins seminar that he's going to deliver to the people at Philippi here. You know, what he's saying, you know, it, it is look, from a worldly perspective, guys, if you lose your job and your job is everything, well then how do you rejoice in that? tonight i feel so burdened with this message as i know many of you as good friends know that a number of people in this place tonight that struggle struggling with self-image people struggling with mental health issues friends friends that have got friends that 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 are sharing great news of, of having babies and all that sort of stuff and at the same time they're desperate to conceive themselves people who have been made redundant in their jobs tonight and a dear brother and a friend like you heard tonight who's laying literally crippled in his bed. Been crippled all this year in his bed and, and, and I think it's a quintessential example of what Paul is talking about in this place. And one minute he's spewing his guts up uh, out next to his office there and leads us in the most miraculous and incredible ways in this place. That's the type of rejoicing. And yet at the same time we go, how the heck can we do that in the middle of all this? And it's a valid point. I think from a worldly perspective, part of why it's so difficult is because, we've talked about this before, whole sermon's on it, but you know, from outside of the gospel, outside of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, your joy is always strapped to your circumstances. If your circumstances are bad, there's, not, there's no joy. If things go wrong for you, there's no joy. If, 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 if the job doesn't work out for you, there's no joy. But if the, the job's going well, it's up, it's all good. If life's up, it's all good. There's joy. And yet the Bible is radically different. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 onward says that, that in this you greatly rejoice, even though you may have to suffer grief of all kinds, so that your faith, which is worth more than gold, and even that perishes in the fire, will be proved genuine, and in the end result in glory and honor and praise from Jesus Christ. What I love about that passage is that it says, "In this you rejoice, and in this you suffer." In the Greek, it's present tense in both. You are rejoicing as you are suffering, and Paul alludes to it a little bit here in this passage. You see, Christian rejoicing is not cheerleading. It's not all yeah. It, 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 it's it's that. Uh, verse 4 at the end of it Uh, let let your gentleness be evident to all because the lord is near it's his here he's with us it says let 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 your gentleness be evident king james translation translates it as let your moderation that doesn't mean anything for particularly our generation as far as the translation is concerned it literally means let your stability be evident to all and so what, what, what he's getting out there, that the Christians seem to be anchored to something different, I don't, uh, something different, something deeper. I don't know about you. Have you guys ever seen yachts out on, uh, on a beautiful uh, harbour or you know, down at Acuna Bay there and the, and the wind comes along? You notice how yachts all tend to sort of shift in the breeze? And then they'll shift backwards again when, when the wind goes. But there's a big difference. But you think, oh, they're not very stable. But the difference is they're not getting blown out to sea. They're anchored. There's something deeper and it says the Christian is not someone that is stable, that is unchanging and chipper through all sorts of different trials in their life. It's saying that the Christian is someone who does swing through the various ranges of emotion but they're anchored. There's something deeper underneath. What Paul's saying to us tonight, guys, when he says rejoice, and I'll say it again, guys, rejoice. He's not cheerleading. He's saying there is a resource whereby your joy need not be tied to your circumstances anymore. So the question is, would you like that tonight? Have you got that tonight? Here's how Paul is saying that you get it. We're going to look through it. (laughs) You bring the big thing into your circumstances, and you bring your circumstances into the big things. That's where I'm going tonight. You bring the big thing, God, into your circumstances first and foremost. Let's have a look at verse 6. He says here, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so what he's saying is you bring the big thing, God, into your circumstances through the discipline and the practice of prayer. Some of you thinking, well, I pray all the time, and uh, it's not—it's not doing not much for me. You know, how, how's that supposed to work? And look, there's all sorts of different kinds of prayer. Uh, note, note here: how does Paul say that we should pray? It says, with thanks in everything. This is look. Let's hold on here. Here's, here's, here this is the secret. This is what he's getting at. It's—it's it, it's a prayer of constant thanks. And you're thinking, well, how how can I do that if I don't know whether or not he's given me the thing that I want? How can I be thankful? He hasn't given it to me yet. And that's the clue of what he was talking about. The prayer that is in thanks is a thanks in advance to God for what he is doing in in your life regardless of the outcome, regardless of what he gives you. Now you're thinking, sounds cool, but you're just hedging your bets, big fella. You put one on red, one on black. You're just going either way. But it's deeper than that, guys. Look, you'll never be rid of of the sort of spiritual anxiety in that sense unless you understand the the single-mindedness of the doctrine of the wisdom of god i say single-mindedness because the biblical word for anxiety actually means um to, to be separated to be divided to be scatterbrained so to speak you know the the, the where, where else it's used in the bible is you know the story of mary and martha and mary's single-minded on jesus where's martha she's all over the shop she's anxious and so it's this 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 singled-mindedness on the on the wisdom of God. Flip to um, Romans eleven thirty three. If you've got it on your iPhones, could be a bit quicker because there'd be no Samsungs in the place tonight. That's all right. I've already preached on that the other week. Um, hey, listen, listen to what Paul says in Romans uh, about it here. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord?" Or who has been his counselor? You see, here's what the Bible's telling us. Look, God knows every fact in the universe, recorded, unrecorded. He already knows it. I mean, I mean, take take planet Z, which is like to Pluto and then beyond Pluto, and sort of undiscoverable even to the to the Hubble telescope, and scale up to the very tops of whatever mountain and what that's made out of, and he'll tell you how many grains of sand are at the top of that mountain and what their geological composition is. And then he'll do that for, for the planet that's on the other side of the universe. And you go to planet X and you go out and you go out further and he'll tell you exactly what's happening there. At the macro level, he sees it all. And then at the micro level, you come down and, and, and delve down into every little bit of mitosis and splitting of the cells and every atom, and the Bible says every hair on your head, and, and he knows that too. He, he, he knows that every star, every planet, every moon, every orbit, every cell, every atom, every split, he doesn't, and he doesn't even know like at, at, just at the physical macro level he knows every event that ever occurred in history he knows every, every event and how every event before that has been born before that and led to the next one and led to the next one and how three came together to do this and, and he's known that and he's known that from the beginning of time and he knows it to the end of the time and he's aware of it all without the slightest bit of strain to his brain He's filing, he's filing his fingernails while he's thinking about this sort of stuff. You know what I'm saying? He's playing bejeweled. <laughs> oh, the depths and the riches of your wisdom, Paul says. And Paul's not a gushy sort of guy, poetic sort of guy at the best of times. Now, here's a question, guys: In comparison to that God, could it be possible that God might not actually um, that God might actually know what is best for your life and your circumstances, no, no matter how difficult they are at the moment? I, 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 I mean, that promotion that you wanted so badly, but then it, it got whisked from underneath you. Could it be that he knows that if you had gone this path and that path, it just would have pulled you further away from him? That that relationship you wanted so desperately, and you thought was the one and the person, and it seemed to just vaporize there. Could it have been it would, it would pull you further from him? He, he sees all that. And I, I, I mean, how much time do you and I spend wondering and pondering and deliberating and searching through what the next steps of our plans and our agendas for our life going to be? I mean, I don't know about you. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Verse 7 says, it says, take a look at this. And the peace of God. Which transcends all understanding. That's the whole cosmic universe type thing that Paul's talking about. Well, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts. You know, the translation for that means literally of the way that a city is garrisoned in the old days. The way an army would, would, would circle around outside of a city. Can you think of how well people would sleep in the middle of that city at night? So Peaceful. What Paul is saying here is when you begin to get that and trust into this God, this cosmic God that we're, saying, that we're talking about tonight, you can begin to sleep a little bit better. You can rest a little bit easier. You can stop being so exhausted trying to wonder what your plans might, might be. Look, see, here's the thing. You need to bring the big thing, God, into your circumstances. And, uh, you know, look, let's pause for a second here. Look, you're saying, what if, <laughs> what if I don't believe in God? Oh, let's just be real here tonight. What's the alternative, uh, Anthony Robbins tape? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but like a, a universe where either you or I know everything and can stitch that up, is a pretty scary place to be, right? <laughs> I don't want to be part of a universe that's like that in that sense. And look, if there is a God of this cosmic magnitude, we'd have, we'd have no more of an, an idea of the big picture of our life than a two-year-old does of their life. I mean, it was my little uh, nephew's first birthday uh, about a week and a bit ago. And uh, for his first birthday, he got a sandpit. And uh, I've got to say, this was the Taj Mahal of sand pits. Um, it had its own sort of solar roof on it, and it was just ridiculous. But my brother-in-law's a tradie, so he's just using his gift. It's all good. Anyway, so there's my, my little nephew there, and um, he starts eating the sand. And he didn't mind chomping on the sand for a little bit. He thought it was pretty cool, good texture in the mouth, and it was all good. And so um, Greg races in and and rips all the sand out of his hand and and dusts it off. And he was filthy. (laughs) How dare Dad do that? He bursts into tears. How how dare he do that? But look, a a two-year-old knows nothing of the digestive tract and the impact of sand on such. (laughs) Clean out the system, that's for sure, but... (laughs) It's got, it's got no idea of the nuances that, that, his, that his father knows exactly what's best for him. And as much as he could have sworn in his little two-year-old brain that dad was wrecking his world, <laughs> dad knew best. Friend, you and I, if we, if we begin to see God in that cosmic sense, the depths, oh, the depths, Paul says in Romans 11. Look, let's be real here to call ourselves two-year-olds in comparison to that wisdom. That's talking ourselves up. Oh, the depths of the wisdom. Who, who is it that could be God's counselor, his right hand man, his coach on the voice? Oh. How else do I put it? Look, I've shared this with you before, but I always find it's the best way to deal with how we view our God in the midst, particularly those that are in the middle of the storm tonight. You know, when I was a toddler, I thought the fastest way down my driveway was not with my legs, but my head. I, I, I rolled down a really steep driveway and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled until I got to the very end and there was a big rock right at the end there and my head went crack right into the side of the rock. Sort of sounded like, like when you drop an Easter egg. And, uh, and uh, the red crimson was flowing all through uh, my head and Dad picked me up and towered around the head, took me down to the doctor. I was just a little toddler. I, can, I, I don't even really remember the thing, but Dad tells me the story. He takes me down there, sits me in there. Doctor takes one look at this cut, the side of my head, and he says, it's going to need a stitch. And so my dad says, well, all right, let's um, get him some anesthetic. And the doctor said, look, it's just one or two. Uh, it's, look, but by the time we give him a needle, it's going to hurt more to have the needle than to just put the needle straight through the eye. And so there, my, my poor dad, will never forget it, had to get up on the rolled out bit of paper on top of the doctor's lounge there and and physically hold my little head down on top of the doctor's seat as he began to put this a needle through my eye and stitch it back up together. He said, never forget the the time when the son that he loved so much and was so precious to him, and he's holding him down. is looking up in such pain and such confusion as if to say, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And the whole time he's thinking, son, if I... If If only you had my wisdom. If only you could see the bigger picture. If only only I could tell your little two-year-old brain that it's going to hurt you more to go through this other pain than the pain you're currently going through now. Friends, I know for sure there are some of you tonight that feel like you're lying down on that doctor's table. And you have a faith And you believe in this heavenly father and you tell yourself that he's good and he's right and he's just and he's wise. And yet these things keep happening to you. And you say, Dad, why are you doing this to me? And he says to you tonight, if if only you knew. If only you knew my precious child. Can you see, friends, what Christian rejoicing is? It's not a glib line. It's not... It's not something that resembles you know, a McDonald's chick when she takes your order. It says, I'm sad and I'm hurting. But had this thing, this relationship, this job, this situation, th- th- this is not the big thing in my life. Uh, this redundancy is not the big thing. This heartbreak is not the big thing. This disappointment is not the big thing. You're the big thing. And, and if you're with me, Almighty Father, then I'm Okay as much as I feel that you're putting me through this because I trust you and I know that you know what you're doing. Guys, thankful prayer moves moves your heart to a place where you insist on seeing the world as much as you can through the eyes of the unfathomable, mysterious wisdom of the love of God. And the result, Paul is saying, if you can do that and practice that and be disciplined in that, is peace. Because peace in biblical terms is not you know anti-war or something like that. It's simply a confidence and trust that God is in wise control of your life. So you bring the big thing into your circumstances. But then Paul also says you've got to take your circumstances and pull them up into the big things. Bring into the big things. Look, verse 8, let's have a look here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think. This is Paul's almost like being being like uh like Biff of Back to the Future. Think, McFly, think. Right? He's Paul's saying, think. Thinking you know, what he's saying is when you bring the circ- your circumstances into the big things, you're thinking, he's saying here. You, 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 you bring God in your, uh, your circumstances through the discipline of thinking. If it's the discipline of prayer, it's a discipline of thinking. Look, I call this the, um, the uh, best way I put it is the, the pyramid principle. If someone can think of a better way to describe this, then can you tell me after the message because was racking my brain. But um, I, I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you did this at the Sydney Olympics. You ever see those goofy photos where people go up to a landmark like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or the Olympic Torch at the Sydney Olympics and you, you hold out your hand like that? And you stand in the foreground of the shot and you see people. It's about, it takes about five minutes to get the camera shot right. Now left, right, 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 right up, up, there. I okay, got okay, it. Hold it there for it. You, 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 you've all done it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell. I can tell. I, I, did, that with the, I did that with the pyramids. You know, I went out for my camel ride there. I'm at the pyramids on the sand dunes. Good thing there. And I was, you know, that's taking the photo of me like that. So I've got this awesome photo of me with my hand above the pyramids. <laughs> And it's really cool. I look massive. <laughs> hey, well, it's the pyramid principle. What, what Paul is saying is that what we are biased in doing as human beings and as citizens of earth in that sense is we're constantly getting in front of God with our problems and our circumstances. And we line them up against Him. And we bring our problems into the foreground and we make them seem much bigger. They really are, and so what? 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 Paul is saying here is that that the the way that you can rejoice in all circumstances here is to bring your finite circumstances up into the cosmic proportions of this incredible God. I mean, th- that photo didn't last that long. When I got to the pyramids, it, if you've ever seen the size of those steps there, uh, just one of those blocks in the pyramids is like eight foot tall. It's huge. You can't even scramble over the things. And it would look absolutely ridiculous. Like no one, no one shows off a photo on their desk you know, doing that in front of the pyramids. <laughs> look like a dope. You know? you, Paul's saying, think whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is true. He's saying, think about these things. Think about the big things. Take your circumstances in the big things. Take them all and put them at the feet of this cosmic, immeasurable God. And now you'll start to get some real perspective in the situation. Now, look, you know, speaking of the wisdom of God, look, I can sort of understand why God never made Paul a dad. And I guess, can you imagine if you were Paul's kids, you come up, come up, oh daddy, I stub my toe. And he says, oh well, well son, you know, I consider that the present sufferings of this world are worth nothing compared to the glory that you will receive. <laughs> Oh you know, these two kids are fighting. his Dad Julie pulled my hair, and he's like, "Kids, let me come in, come in. Look. Jesus died so He could reconcile all of humanity <laughs> to God, be reconciled to one another. <laughs> now look, we laugh, but look let, let's get real. God, God did give Paul some children. They were called his churches. The letter we've been reading from tonight. Is him talking to his kids. Remember Acts uh, sixteen, the slave girl and Lydia and the Philippian jailer. This, these were his kids. And what I love about Paul in his principle is he's always taking the most mundane of circumstances and pulling him back up into the big things. He's always doing that. It's why you know you know that's why he's saying just in the verses prior, Philippians 3.20, he's talking about people of the world, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. Hey, but us Christians, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. So they will be like his glorious body. Paul's saying you're dealing with health issues. But this is this is not how it's meant to be. This is not how it's going to be forever. And think about the big things, the big picture stuff. You know, he's saying that it's not that our problems are too big; it's our view of God is too small. And I know, look, some of you might be saying tonight, "Yeah, look, you know, you're not in the middle of my problems." And I agree, I don't want to trivialize what we're saying here tonight, right? But look, these things are disciplines. Paul's saying this, this rejoicing always is a sign of a mature believer. Uh, what other alternatives are there other than to, to think about the big picture? And, and uh, look, let's be real. Your problems are not going to disappear between tonight and first thing tomorrow morning when you wake up. But one thing can change. One thing can change. It's how you you perceive them. It's whether you're going to bring those circumstances up into the big things. You see, look, Roxette got it wrong. They did get it wrong. You should not listen to your heart. Okay? Um, Stay with me, those that understand it. It's okay. If you don't, just let's move right forward. Um, (laughs) Look, what, what what do I do with this? Paul's saying, look, you can either listen to your heart or you can talk to your heart. You can wake up tomorrow, and this is a choice you can make. You're, you're, look, you can wake up tomorrow, and your heart's going to say, oh my goodness, and, oh my goodness, I've got this, and I've got that. And two things you can do. You can, you can listen to that, and what are you going to do? You're going to follow that, or you can talk to your heart. Talk to your heart the way that David did in, in Psalm 42. He says, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What, what's he doing? He's taking his circumstances and he's putting them into the big things. He's talking to his heart, not in a, not in a crazy way. Not like, Hey heart, how you doing? <laughs> but you get, you get what I'm saying? Either listen to your heart or talk to your heart. He's bringing his circumstances into the big things. So look, there you go. Bring the big thing, God, into your circumstance. Bring your circumstances into the big things. Cool. Go and do likewise, as Jesus says. But come on, we know it never ends here. There's a clever play on words here that I want to, I want to touch on before we go. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Verse 7. Verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received from me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you the peace of god and the god of peace the peace of god and the god of peace what's paul getting at look there's a difference between what it means to be a christian and to not be a christian you see look what what happens to the average person when the hurricane hits i mean even the most irreligious person in the world throws up a a flare prayer even the the, the most a- a- atheistic person you know at the, on the, on their deathbed or in the middle of tragedy i'm sure thinks about the big things so in that sense, it's entirely possible to not be a Christian and do the very disciplines that Paul's talking about, but it's not the resource that I was telling you about at the beginning of this message this evening. You see, it's the, it's the, it's, here's, the, here's the difference. <laughs> people, people of the world, they, they, want, they want the peace of God, but they don't want the God of peace. Christians go for the God of peace, and then the peace of God flows on from that friend you can practice to your heart's content you will never find the incredible resource that a man in the middle of a jail cell could say rejoice and I'll say it again rejoice until you get this the difference between wanting god just to fix your problems or fixing yourself on god in spite of your problems and so guys look there, <laughs> there was a party once in which you know god's plan interrupted the rejoicing a bit of a killjoy The disciples, uh, they were in Jerusalem. There's a great feast that was about to happen. It was called the Passover. They did it every year. It was their favorite time of year. And This JC guy was hanging out with them and they found an upper room in which they could all hang out together and they got all the preparations, the unleavened bread and the lamb and and the lights were glowing. There was the clink of glasses as they were cheesing each other with the wine and getting ready for all the big celebrations and yet one man didn't seem to be having so much fun. I sort of imagine the scene I'm look I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture for here for you but but I get the sense everyone's a little bit of a, a, oblivious not so sort of in tune the way they are in Da Vinci's uh, portrait of this incredible scene but I, I get the sense that everyone's laughing and there's frivolity in the corner sits a Jesus in amongst all the frivolity and the rejoicing I mean he's sad and he's sorrowful And he's swirling the wine in front of him, thinking, how, how do I explain this to these guys? In the midst of the joy, he's not having any of it. Instead, he's sipping a cup full of sorrow. And it would only be a matter of time before those same boys <laughs> didn't get the bigger picture of the manifold wisdom of God. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And he said, that's not going to happen, Jesus. Stop trying to be a killjoy. And then at the cross, in the blink of an eye, they see him bleeding. And they see him dying. And the Bible says they ran away. They ran away. And I can't half blame them. These ones that would follow and stake their life on this guy. Look up at this man who was going to overthrow all the powers of Israel. And he's there dying. And he's crying out to his God in a moment of absolute horror. And they're thinking, how could any goodness Possibly come out of these circumstances and they run the other way. And here's the difference because of the great history of God that we see that is the gospel. Is that they had absolutely no idea that in that moment of horror and that moment of sorrow, God was unleashing the most incredible act of love and wisdom in universal history. And the three days later, that same body that was there broken would rise out of the grave. And all the big things in life, sin and security and death, became the small things. And so, friend, what was the resource that Paul had? It was a resource that said, if we can see God's purpose in those horrible circumstances, we can face our own Today, this evening, we can face our horrible moments and declare that as horrible as they are, we're not going to run. Because Paul knew and we know a God of peace, a God of peace who swapped it for sorrow so we could have a bit of it. How could Paul possibly say rejoice always because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Paul in a prison could rejoice always because he'd experienced a man who had experienced An infinitely greater prison than he was in. What am I getting at? Guys, if you're a meteorologist, I know your brother is Mike, isn't he? So he can back me up on this. Hurricanes, cyclones, um, they don't last forever. Even the, the cyclones that have unleashed the most incredible destruction in human history last no more than three to five days. And so in light of eternity, friends, our lives and more importantly, the hard circumstances you might be going through tonight are a mist. They're the vapor clouds of this hurricane that's about to hit that close. Paul does say, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Who are you? Are you right in the middle of the storm tonight? Do you you have the resources to write it out? Friend, is it blue skies? If so, maybe it's time to start getting the tape out and batten down the hatches. But regardless of what we might face, how it might turn out for us, we don't know, as the meteorologist said, who it's going to hit, but somebody's going to get hit. Friend, Paul says the DNA of the mature Christian is one who rejoices always.